space-time, the ever-expanding frontier. These are the records of the most needlessly complicated rewatch of the Star Trek franchise ever. Its mission, to locate every second, contemplate every eon, from outside time to the Big Bang, to the 20th century, all the way to the end of all existence. To do what no sane entity has ever done before. This is the Temporal Trek Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Temporal Trek Podcast. We are in Season 3, Episode 5 of this podcast. Season 1, Episode 3 of Star Trek Enterprise. The episode is Strange New World and we're beginning at timestamp 0 minutes and 0 seconds. Oh, it's always so much easier this way. Um, it's another solo show, just me today and my thoughts on this episode. But this is quite a short one really, um, as uh, we're about to find out. Not a lot really happens in it. But we're going to start off with our first part of our ratings criteria on the LCARS system, locate the point in time. So uh, last episode, we were in May 6th, 2151. We don't actually find out later uh, when exactly this is taking place, but it's reasonable to, be, to assume that it's a couple of weeks after the previous episode. So between that episode where we met the Axonars for the first time and a mysterious sort of pirate race who are uh, draining people of their fluids and selling them on presumably as aphrodisiacs or perhaps other uh, concoctions this week we are getting to our strange new world as the title suggests so that intervening period could literally be anything um, and it's always been something that's stuck with me as a Star Trek fan for all of the legacy Star Trek shows. Uh, I think we're calling them the legacy shows now. Um, that what happens in the intervening time? And it's something that I think uh, Lower Decks has done really, really well to sort of answer what did the crew get up to when there's no mission, when the ship is actually traveling from A to B? And it's it's always a thought that's stuck with me. And... I think it is something that these early episodes of Enterprise do address. Uh, they they address the the quiet times in between the missions when the crew are just itching to have something to do. And this first scene is one of those things that really solidifies that for me, where we meet our crewman Cutler. Now Cutler will play a bigger role as the series goes on and uh, we see that she's already hitting the books hard, that she's learning about some termites on a planet called Laracus Prime. Now we could say that perhaps they went to Laracus in between this episode and the previous one but it seems unlikely that there would be a published book as this is a paper copy book, not a pad but an actual printed book. Uh, suggesting that Laracus Prime is something that has been discovered previously, and perhaps is something that was fed through the Vulcan databases, which is something we haven't really heard much about. Up till now, we've heard about how the Vulcans are holding us back, uh, but there hasn't been any mention of what the Vulcans did for us. Um, uh, it, may, it kind of makes me think of the Monty Python sketch, uh, you know, other than the pu- public transportation, the roads, the health benefits and uh, special holidays, 
what have the Vulcans ever done for us? But the fact that she is reading books about planets that presumably they haven't gone to, maybe other humans on slower ships than the Enterprise have got to uh, in the past, but the idea that she is also eating Vulcan cuisine pushes it in the direction that this is something the Vulcans have given to humans, and that she is a, a Vulcan fan, I guess, uh, the one of the first fanboy, I guess, um, in the Star Trek universe is Crewman Cutler, and uh, she is fanboying or fangirling over the Vulcan culture and everything she can possibly learn, including the cuisine. But this whole scene is very reminiscent of the Lower Decks, where the crew see a planet for the first time, and there's a bit of uh, misunderstanding of why why are we here? I thought we were going to go to Nebula. You know, We shouldn't be in orbit right now. Um, we should be at somewhere else. So clearly something has happened that has not been communicated ship-wide. They also talk about uh, what if they are underground or perhaps underwater. And this is something I've always wanted to see in Star Trek and perhaps will be something that I come into in the expansions uh, from this episode. Would always want to see a Star Trek underwater show. Uh, perhaps a starship that is specially designed to go to water planets or heavily water-covered planets where the civilizations exist underwater and we have to communicate with them. There have been allusions to that in other Star Trek episodes that I'm sort of remembering off the top of my head. Um, that there are fish-like people who live under the water and we do have some talk with them. But the idea that you would have a kind of Sequest DSV 1990s show, but in Star Trek and with the Star Trek sort of markers on it, uh, I think would be a fascinating idea because there are other aspects to that. Uh, the Prime Directive states that we can only talk to a culture that has developed warp drive. Well, what use is warp drive to an underwater civilization? Why would they have want any means of going into space when they can live just as well underwater? Uh, that you know, what is a level that we would meet an underwater civilization that wouldn't have anything to do with warp drives? And I think that would be something that could be interesting to explore in a Star Trek sequest type show. They do mention that there's no obvious marquee buoys and satellites in orbit as we get to the bridge, and the bridge are much more aware of what's going on. Um, they're trying to find out, uh, you know, has someone planted a flag on the planet? Do they own it? Is there someone who claims it as part of their territory? It seems arrogant on their part already, before we even get to T'Pol, who will feature prominently in this, this episode, that there's an arrogance that, you know, that's how people would stake their claim, that they would put up a mark buoy or a satellite. Um, you know, what if, uh, you know, an alien species has the culture of whatever we can see with the naked eye is our territory. Um, and therefore, any planet that is within a foreseeable distance might see it as their territory without placing any buoys. And they are just as warp-capable as the humans. And this sense of arrogance in the humans, I think, is the thing that plays through the whole episode. Archer orders Reed to put together a shuttle pod. They're going to go to the northern continent. T'Pol is stating that this is Minshara class, but we should really do a six-day survey, and T'Pol is absolutely right, especially when we get through this episode, that if they'd just done this protocol, and if they weren't so arrogant and willing to just rush in, um, 
that they probably would have solved themselves a few problems down the road. It is one of the things that I do appreciate about another sci-fi show. So I've already had Sequest, and this time it is going to be Stargate. Uh, the thing that uh, they used to send through the Stargate wormhole uh, that was generated each time was a MALP, uh, a, a remote-controlled probe or drone that would go through with cameras mounted and assess the uh, the environment before sending the troops in. Now, there was a very short window between that MALP going through and then the team going through afterwards, but the idea that you send a probe first, get them to, to do the readings first, assess if it's good for life, and then move on. It did strike me as odd that no one even contemplated putting on the environmental suits, that just because the planet looked good, uh, that it was virus-free, uh, or perhaps didn't have any uh, predatory animals, uh, why that never even came up in a Star Trek Enterprise show which was always about showing the first time of doing something, the the cautious side of taking those first steps um, into into space, why that never even figured into anyone's thought patterns uh, what, you know, Hoshi last week was all about the the environmental suits and um, feeling uncomfortable in them, it would have been great to have just that little tiny wink from her just saying you know, well you know, I'm glad for one we shouldn't take the environmental suits in fact, shouldn't we be taking the environmental suits, I'm, you know, I'm not coming with you, but please feel free to do this, you know, have her play into it keep that element of her personality but she is joking around with it now she's kind of accepted that she has that worrisome fearful side to her but she's relaxing into it uh, it would just be a great piece of development for Hoshi as the character and keeps a nice throughput whilst also having your episodic TV. Cutler and T'Pol have a nice little scene just before they get into the shuttle pod and uh, T'Pol is just very matter of fact that she's brought her onto her team because she is the the best entomologist uh, on the planet as we found out earlier she was hitting the books learning all about termites on another planet um, but she is very eager to please she wants to get to know uh, the crew uh, and she wants to get to know the bridge crew especially and create a good impression with T'Pol as she is a fangirl of the Vulcan culture it does lead to my uh, next part and I'm going to put in the little sting right here for the hashtag traitrid section it's time you learned to weigh the possible repercussions of your actions you've always been impulsive one pan fried catfish it showed you to the nearest airlock maybe this will teach you lesson. yep it's trip and saying that uh, you'd get uh, more of a conversation out of a house fly uh, than having to talk to T'Pol when uh, T'Pol is very matter-of-fact with Cutler and Cutler seems disappointed. Um, you could say that maybe Trip is trying to be nice and is trying to you know lessen the disappointment in Cutler's uh, eyes, but the way he's saying it and the, the horrible dismissive way that he treats T'Pol and talks behind her back um, or sometimes straight to her face as well, it's just horrible and I really don't like it. Uh, and it's still bothers me that he is like that to pretty much every member of the crew so far. It is the first time that I've really noticed the NX-01 caps. I know we've had them in the past two episodes, and I know they've been there, but it really stands out in this episode, having the NX-01 written on the cap and embroidered on. They just stand out really well. And I think if there was ever one bit of uh, 
Trek paraphernalia that I always wanted to get was an NX-01 cap. Maybe someday I will. Um, but uh, I really like the look of them, especially when we get down to the planet. They really pop against um, the background of uh, a new world, the strange new world, and seeing these explorers but with sun hats on. Um, it, it's so un-Star Trek because after this we don't really see people wearing baseball caps anymore um, but it feels right for this show to have baseball caps on uh, on a sunny strange new world uh, it just it really works very well speaking of our strange new world uh, it's time to uh, pause for the Porthos podcast pause for thought with Porthos I got to play on the grass. I forgot the pleasure of pooping on grass. Ah, that's better. There's a, a great scene as they've let Porthos um, off the leash and he's running off uh, and enjoying himself. And the crew are teasing to pole, but in a nicer way than I think Trip got away with. Uh, they are taking pictures, and yes, Trip is taking photos, and he is that friend who brings the camera to literally everything you do. But I'm going to let him off for that. I'm not going to class that as a traitorous thing because they're explorers. They're supposed to take uh, some sort of evidence of what they're doing. Uh, so I'm going to, you know, not hold that against him. But I do remember going uh, pretty much everywhere. Uh, at university at sixth form and there was always that one friend who insisted on taking a photo of literally everything uh, that you were doing and it did put me in mind of that but there is a nice little moment where Archer is bantering with T'Pol but not as offensive as he has been in previous episodes uh, and he's saying you know make sure you get a copy of that picture sent to the Vulcan High Command uh, he's really playing into it you know he's saying you know live a little you know enjoy the outdoors don't stick your nose into a tricorder and, and then not say anything uh, and just focus on the data uh, and there's a great bit where Jolene Blaylock um, just snaps the tricorder shut as she realizes you know she's not going to get any readings done they're just picking on her uh, it's so good bit of timing with the snap and then puts the tricorder away and then just simply stands and looks at the planet um, but she is so over it. Uh, she has visited over 36 Minshara-class planets. Uh, I do like the addition to the Star Trek canon that Minshara is the basis for M-class planet, and from now on, any planet that is habitable by humanoids is an M-class, but it's all based on Minshara. It's things like that that I really appreciated in Enterprise, uh, and is another reason why I enjoyed this show. Uh, because it was leaning into the things that I thought needed to lean into. You know, the reasons why we're doing things and why that terminology came into place. It's just a nice little uh, wink to the, the fans, but then a nice explanation to a new fan coming in brand new. T'Pol just continues to be delightful in all the scenes, as there's a lot of cut scenes of the crew going their separate ways and enjoying this strange new world. Uh, we see twin moons, we see canyons, there's like pond worms that cut the notices in the, in the waters. There's a crewman who is picking flowers. Uh, we don't actually know his name at this point, but it seems natural to see human beings you know walking through a forest and just not worrying or having a care in the world but remember this is a strange new world it's written into the title of the episode and they're just gallivanting around taking their time 
missing scheduled dates. Um, why is no one thinking maybe we should take our time, maybe analyze things before we start sniffing a flower or go on from there? Um, it does make you wonder why more crews don't die on their first mission out if this is the laissez-faire way that the Enterprise goes about it and how on earth Starfleet and the Federation managed to get a foothold into the galaxy. Who knows? There is a nice little scene between Trip, Travis and uh, Archer. Trip says that he, wa he would love to have a log cabin on this uh, planet because it does look idyllic. Uh, Travis says, you know, it's not a home without nacelles. And there's a nice little bit of ribbing between him uh, and Trip about, you know, boomers and... Uh, typical that sort of thing which is not going to be a trip hatred thing as well uh just in case you thought i was going to do it but it is kind of like a eh. all right trip okay we get it you're, you're trying to do the banter i think that's one of the things why i don't like trip is that from him the banter seems forced from all the other characters not so forced and i don't know why it feels that way um objectively it's the same thing it's still banter it's still workplace banter but for some reason from Trip, it just feels like it's trying too hard, and it just winds me up. Uh, but it's not going to be a ding in the Traitrid, so I'm not going to be playing the little jingle. He gets away this time, but not for long, as uh, they get called in by T'Pol, who is uh, acting like the school mom, the school teacher, who is having to take her, her group of kids on the school day trip out, uh, and they are constantly going off, and she has completely lost control. And there's just not annoyance, because obviously that would be an emotion, but the closest Vulcan thing to annoyance in everything she says to everybody. And I 100% stand with her on this one. She she is totally right the whole way through this episode, and all of the characters in this episode are so reckless that I would have just phased them all, gone back in the shuttle and said, you know, some you know, alien bear killed them all. Let's just leave them behind and just gone back to Enterprise, and that would have been the end of the episode. Trip makes a joke about making too many photos, and uh, quite frankly, yes, I'm going to ding him for this. I've let him off far too often on this on this episode already. I'm going to do another Trip Hatred. Hashtag Traitred. Show you to the nearest airlock. Maybe this will teach you as he then ingratiates himself onto Pole wanting to stay behind so that she can then do further studies. And it's uh, Travis and Trip who decide they want to stay and go camping. Uh, so annoying. So utterly annoying. The teacher just wants to get the class through the field trip and go home. And these two kids are just acting up and constantly getting in her way. That is what Trip is doing here. And he's dragging Travis down with him too. Travis is such a good character. And he's a terrible influence on him. Uh, and it's another reason to ding Trip. So this is the third Traitrid for this episode. The scene changes. And it's now night time on the planet. And we go straight into a ghost story. Uh, Travis is teaching uh, the others about famous boomer ghost stories. Uh, it's almost Twilight Zone. Esque. So, uh, if I was pitching another show uh, from this episode, so we've already had Sequest Star Trek and we've already had an allusion to Stargate, now we've got the Twilight Zone meets Star Trek. Uh, I would love to see maybe a few short treks, maybe just an anthology show where it's Travis telling ghost stories of the boomers at that time. Uh, so, he's just sitting 
down perhaps at the academy and this is like a, a side bit of history a pop culture bit of history and he is just teaching the new cadets in starfleet as an older man the ghost stories of the boomers um i would love that from this scene cutler uh, has a really nice moment where she spots uh, the soul system and she's saying that earth is just another one of the pinpricks of light in the in the cosmos uh, which is a nice scene but it shows how intelligent she is she's able to chart courses with stars uh, and it just it makes you like this character straight away and she really does play well on that um, she has that awkwardness that you have from hoshi uh, but there is a confidence in her ability and the knowledge that she wants to be there um, that is one step beyond where Hoshi is right now. And it's another reason to love this character. The camping trip begins. Uh, everyone gets into their tents, but then a storm starts to whip up. Uh, they start to see a bug in the bed and they are uh, going to grab a phaser and start to shoot it. To Paul, yet again, is the school teacher and she uh, radios them or she gets the communicator and contacts them and says is there something wrong and uh, she's playing up to it do you need some assistance um, the annoyed school teacher of DePaul I feel so sorry for DePaul in this episode we go back up to Enterprise and Archer and Reed uh, have a little conversation and uh, we find out for the first time uh, in Star Trek Enterprise that Archer is a big water polo fan and it's the first time we actually get a uh, mention of water polo on board uh, and how he thinks Reed could actually be quite a good water polo player. I've never watched water polo. Uh, like I say before, whenever a sport is mentioned in Star Trek, I have absolutely no idea what that is or what it's involving uh, and how you play it. It sounds difficult, whatever it is. Water polo just sounds incredibly exhausting. But we're learning about the storm coming in. Reed is uh, saying that perhaps we should get them back up. Uh, Travis says that they, you know they've they've got the food. They need to move into uh, a cave. Um, but they're absolutely they'll be fine. They'll, they'll just wait out the storm. But Archer thinks that he should really mount a rescue. So they're going to come down in a pod later and try and rescue them. But uh, unfortunately, the wind prevents that can't be afraid of the wind stepping back a slightly they go into a cave uh, and you start to get the sense that of what's wrong with the episode we had the ghost stories so maybe you're thinking well, maybe some of the crew are hallucinating or maybe the ghost stories are getting into their heads but they're starting to see things cutler is seeing to paul speaking to someone at the back of the cave but it's not actually there um they're starting to see uh what they think is rock monsters. Trip thinks that there is a uh, a person coming out of the rocks. I do remember f when I first watched the episode back in the early two thousands. You know, what if this was the Sulaban and that we were coming back to that plot from the pilot that we'd had a break last week, but then we were coming back to it. That what if this was the Sulaban merging with the the rocks in the background, and that they were perhaps subverting the Enterprise's missions um, now that they've made themselves a threat as of the pilot. And I do wonder if this would have made it a better episode that there is the sense that this uh, this planet is wrong for them or that there is uh, something that is uh, being affected. But there is also the real story of the Sulabon being on the planet and they are messing with them. Uh, and perhaps the re resolution of the episode means that they write it off as, oh, it was just the planet messing with us. But actually, there really was a Sulaban plot. And there was a throughput of that arc that it was just constantly coming at us, that we, the audience, were seeing the Sulaban messing with the Enterprise. But the Enterprise 
was still having its mission as well. Um, I think it, it could have been interesting to have that constantly being played through so that the audience don't forget who the Sulaban is. Because as far as this episode is concerned, there is no mention of Temporal Cold Wars, there is no mention of Sulaban, or this other much larger threat to what the Enterprise is trying to do on her grand mission. Paranoia is already starting to set in, as uh, as I said, and the wind prevents a rescue. It forces the, the shuttle to sort of bash into a nearby rock formation, um, so they have to pull back and they can't actually come to the rescue. So it's going to strand the crew on the surface. From now on in, we now know that there is something affecting the crew as they get more irritable, more irrational. And it's quite a, a tense set of scenes, but ultimately you can kind of see where this is going. It's being red flagged from the get-go. Uh, we get Novakovic, um, who is uh, running off into the planet. He is um, doing that sort of typical Star Trek TOS thing where it's the random crew member who loses their mind and runs off into the distance. Um, but even if you had never seen Star Trek before, I think a fairly well-educated TV watcher would know that there is something being affected, perhaps in his mind, that is affecting all of the crew as well, that something isn't right with this planet. Trip is going to get uh, confrontational for this entire length of the episode as we get back and forth on the paranoia, and I'm not going to hold that against him. That is not going to be part of my traitred at whatsoever, uh, because you know, he's drugged, it's not his fault, uh, but I would like to point out that I was very tempted to ding him quite a few times in this episode, but because he's drugged, I'm going to be kind to him. I'm not going to ding him on this one. But overall, it, it does lead to what I think is a competent episode and a, a weird episode. But ultimately, there's not a lot going on here. We get this planet. We later find out that there is something in the air that's being pushed around by this storm that is affecting their judgment. Uh, we find out about uh, a tropolysine effect, so that there is some sort of uh, psychoactive substance in the spores on the planet. Uh, Novakovic does get beamed up, and because of the contaminants in the air and the particles as well, he is materialized with bits and pieces of twigs and leaves inside his skin or part of his skin, which makes it an important point of Star Trek history because this is the first on screen transporter accident as far as Starfleet history is concerned. So that is a big consequence for this episode, which may play into our ratings criteria. When we do find out about the tropolysine and we have Phlox teaching Archer about the effects, it is nice to see that Captain Archer trips over the Technobabble, that it isn't established. Again, it's one of those nice little touches, just like the Minshara class, where we're getting the characters used to using these terms they're not quite cemented in there i know a lot of people might play that off as you know it's being a bit kitsch it's being a bit uh, tongue-in-cheek but i like that because it, it feels natural that these characters are going to gradually get better at something they don't have the the lingo down they don't have it sapatico uh, and ready to go he's trying to pronounce the the name of this new psychotropic drug um without really thinking about it. He's trying to get it into his lexicon, but hasn't quite got there yet. And it's just a further reminder to the audience that this isn't a perfect crew. 
Uh, it does lead to a scene where Reed is told by Archer to go and watch the weather. Uh, it did make me laugh because the Brit is going to watch the weather. We love talking about the weather. Uh, to any US listeners out there and a few uh, people in Germany, I believe, the last time I looked at the stats and analyst- analytics from here, um, uh, us Brits, we do love talking about the weather. So to send the Brit to go and watch the weather uh, is probably the greatest decision Archer could have made uh, in this episode. Back down on the planet, we do see that whatever this is, is affecting T'Pol as well, and she's starting to speak in Vulcan. Uh, Maru Fezar uh, is presumably put down the phaser as she is pointing a phase pistol at Trip, and Trip is doing likewise to her. We then get a sense of danger, but again, the tension doesn't seem to quite be there as we go back to the ship and find out that uh, Novakovic is dying from the effects of whatever this spore tropolysine compound is and that actually he may die if Phlox does not find a suitable cure. So now we've got our ticking clock. We've got a crew who can't be rescued but they would be able to use the transporter to perhaps beam down the antidote if Phlox is able to find it. Watching these scenes and seeing how T'Pol breaks down into using Vulcan as opposed to uh, English one, it does make me think, well, how does that work with the Universal Translator? But, uh, you know, ignoring that for a second, I did wonder whether this could be seen as uh, partly a comment on dementia. Probably not intentioned when this um, uh, script was being written, but you always hear these stories of dementia patients who revert to a way of speaking that was natural to them before the effects of what they're going through um you know for an older dementia sufferer they start talking the way they did when they were 20 so they're using the same lingo they're using the same um uh, patois that would have been day to day for them back then so to pole reverting back to vulcan or speaking vulcan uh, did make me think that you know what if this could be seen as a play on dementia uh it doesn't really fit into the wider context of the episode but Uh, I thought it was a nice little touch that if that was um, the intention that the writer was going to go for, uh, that it it seemed quite believable, quite plausible that she would do that. Obviously, it plays into the story in that uh, Hoshi is able to talk to to Pol, but not necessarily be understood by Trip. And Archer then pulls this solution just out of a hat. Um, he wants to play into the delusion. He wants to play along with it. Uh, again, similar to how it's advised that you, you speak to someone who is suffering dementia. Um, you, you play along with their way of looking at it. You play along that if they have reverted to an earlier time in their life, that you act the way they would expect you to act back then. Um, they might not remember you as a family member. They might think that you are just someone else they're meeting back in the time that they are remembering. Um, so you could say that perhaps Archer is aware of that and he is playing into that as the solution but the overall plan here, the gambit that he is about to play where he tricks Trip by saying that there's this Vulcan um, envoy that T'Pol is is leading with this silicon rock based life form uh, which is a bit of a callback to uh, the previous episode where we were talking about what is life. So clearly silicon-based life is something that fits that definition, but that might not be the case for Star Trek to come. But at the moment, silicon-based life forms, as far as Star Trek Enterprise is concerned, is something that is considered life. 
but we get to pole play acting and talking to nothing talking to air to try and trick trip into taking the antidote shot that they're about to beam down which Flox has now been able to synthesize and it's a nice uh, flip to earlier in the episode where she wasn't playing along with the ghost story and now she is playing her own ghost story she is talking to thin air as though she were having this uh, diplomatic um, conversation with the rock life forms so it is nice to see Topol embracing a ghost story when she was so dismissive at the beginning um, not that I feel that Topol needed to lighten up I think she was absolutely right and 100% right from the get-go in this episode she is not the crew member who really needed to change it was the other crew who needed to change to match her she phases trip and yes sometimes I really wish I was holding that phaser the day is saved and we get a little bit of a conversation from Trip talking about Mr. Velik, who was a Vulcan who visited his school when he was in 10th grade uh, to a biology class and was told to challenge your preconceptions or they'll challenge you, which is a great sentiment. But again, it falls a bit flat in this episode because when you think of it in the context of what the humans did, challenge your preconceptions. Their preconceptions were, we're humans, we're going to go out into space and we're going to just uh, roam free and explore and everything will be hunky-dory. He didn't do that. Uh, they rushed in headlong. Uh, well, you could say that this is the learning curve, that perhaps you know, because they've gone down to the planet and this has happened to them, they will now challenge their preconceptions of what the, the best way of approaching a planet in the future will be. Um, or they'll challenge you, you know, it, it'll, you know, it'll keep coming back if you don't change that way. But given that the rest of Star Trek is so gung-ho about just going down to a planet in the future, this never comes up again. And it's a shame that these little nuggets of truth, uh, just as with, you know, can't be afraid of the wind, uh, or it's time to take risks from uh, first flight, and now we've got challenge your preconceptions. All of these great bits of one-liners and pieces of advice that have been hinted at already in the first few episodes, and it just doesn't feel like it, it quite matches up with what's going on. Like There should have been more drive on that. It should have been far more overt in its messaging, I think, in the, the, in the episode. It, if it was there, it was being too subtle that it didn't quite feel like it packed that punch. It didn't quite deal with the subject matter uh, as well as that line, challenge your preconceptions, should have had. Novakovic is fine. He's going to be absolutely fine. He gets a shot from Flox as well. And the episode just ends. And that's it. We end at the credits of the episode. Like I say, pretty short. Um, there's a lot of tense scenes, but those scenes do go on for quite some time. But that is the L part of our rating system on the L card system. So we're going to move on to consequences. And there are some pretty big consequences for this episode. Uh, it, whatever the outcome of the episode and whatever uh, actually was delivered as an episode, there are some huge consequences for what will f be played out in the future for Enterprise. Walking onto a random planet without a proper survey is probably numero uno on the consequences always do your complete surveys first or perhaps try and scan for more stuff first or go down in environmental suits first before you start breathing and picking flowers 
we have our first transporter accident another big consequence um, you know, this should lead on to future transporter chiefs knowing what to beam up and maybe getting the debris out um, so from this one accident you'll see uh, in the future the transporter getting better that's a pretty big consequence and the consequence of including silicon based life forms into the definition of life and uh, that that potential to widen um, the variety of alien life forms that the enterprise might actually encounter alterations things that i'd like to see expanded is our next criteria alterations this episode is pretty quick uh it, there's not really much to it there isn't a, a big powerful punch we have this challenge your preconceptions idea but it's really just given over to a lot of high melodrama between the characters trapped down on the planet and that isn't really a pull-in on challenging any preconceptions because they're all drugged. Uh, their actions aren't necessarily their own or are just amplified versions of what they are. And if, if it really were their preconception, if it really were the story where I was talking about the Sulabon messing with them as well as the planet sort of hyping that up, then there's a legitimate concern there. You have the preconceptions of what's going on around them and then you have the you know the preconceptions of their enemy the Sulaban and what they are actually doing and it would play into this paranoia then you have Trip uh, mistrusting Topol who is taking actions that might be seen as uh, going against their best interests because the Sulaban are there play into that um, preconceptions element as furthering the story I think would have just given this a bigger punch. Strange New World, uh, whilst great at showing the first time we stepped onto a planet that wasn't all necessarily um, fit for human life, there's not really much going on. There's there's nothing here to say I must return to this episode in a future rewatch. Um, it's nice and it's great to see that Porthos got out and had a bit of a run around. But really, I'm not seeing a lot here to come back to. Um, so I would try and alter the episode to have a bit more punch in that regard. Expansions. Like I say, there's a couple of weeks between this episode and presumably the previous episode. What happened in the meantime? And the character's talking about uh, underwater civilizations. I definitely want that Star Trek Sequest type space show where it's a starship that can go into the water we get to meet underwater civilizations on various planets and you sort of see it coming out you know the uh, uh, star trek nautilus you know something like that uh, a submarine starship i think could be really interesting as a tv show and would definitely be an expansion i'd want from one of the conversations in this episode has nothing to do with the episode but is something i would love to see as far as revising this episode though and expanding and altering i would have liked to have seen a slightly tighter episode that was a bit more about challenging preconceptions as opposed to the storyline of um crazy spores making the, the crew go crazy uh, that's all it really boils down to Recommendations. Firstly, to Star Trek fans, do I recommend this episode? If you are a T'Pol fan, I think you both love and hate this episode because she is 100% right 
but she's also 100% ignored throughout this whole episode. So that might annoy you. Um, but to Star Trek fans, there's really not a lot here. Because the characters are acting out of their influence, because they've got that spore in them that is changing their way, or the psychotropic effects are changing the way they're acting, you're not really learning anything about the characters themselves. You learn a lot about T'Pol, and I appreciate T'Pol, and I love the comic timing, and I love the serious elements of this episode, and how she came through and managed to save the day in the end. Um, but I think there are so many better episodes to come that will showcase that, that this really one just, just gets pushed to the back of the pile. It's so much lower down than it should be. Uh, so to Star Trek fans, I am not going to recommend this episode. To non-Star Trek fans, perhaps um, because this is the first episode, because we're seeing that there's there's danger in the transporter, you know, the, the guy's beamed up with bits inside him. If you are a non-Star Trek fan, but you like ghost stories, if you like something that's a bit more tense, maybe you'd like these scenes. But again, the narrative of it just doesn't feel tight enough it doesn't feel like it's pulling into this challenge or preconceptions uh finishing line that they want to give to the episode and it, it feels so loose that i think it's quite forgettable so in the mind-altering uh brainwashing kit this would not be an episode i would put in to try and draw in new fans so to non-star trek fans i am also not recommending strange new world and that's it Short and sweet, like I say, uh, I'm coming up at under 50 minutes already, so it, there's not a lot to go on on this episode. Uh, but join me next time for Season 1, Episode 4 of Enterprise, Unexpected, and it is a trip-centric episode. Oh, joy. Unexpected, starting at 0 minutes and 0 seconds. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you in the next time stream. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please remember to like, subscribe and review wherever you listen to it. If you would like to be a guest in the future or give feedback, you can contact me by either searching for the Temporal Trek Podcast Facebook page or find me on Twitter at Rider underscore Coattail. Also search the Temporal Trek Podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at Daniel underscore Hitch underscore Writer. All the timestamps for the show can be found at ridingcoattails.simplesite.com. The scripted elements of the show are a work of pure fanfiction, and any views and opinions expressed in the episode discussions are my own or that of the guest. They do not reflect the rights holders of Star Trek. Any Star Trek sound effects or music are used under the terms of fair use and are not my own work. The intro music, Birthright by Audio Binger, is royalty-free from the Free Music Archive. Check out their work and others at freemusicarchive.com. The Temple Trek is a free podcast with no Patreon or sponsorship. However, if you would like to support the show, you can find my books by searching Daniel Peter Hitch on Amazon. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you in the next time stream.